Every day when we wake up, we fight the urge to stay in bed. But before we roll out and flop our feet on the floor, right there in that moment is our very first opportunity of the day. Right before we get out of bed is our very first opportunity of the day. An opportunity to live for God. To pray and to tell him of our worries and our needs. A chance to ask him to give us strength not only to get out of bed, but to endure through the day. Often in this time, we want to praise him. We want to thank him for us waking up again. For giving us the sleep we prayed for before we went to bed. How many of us missed that opportunity to pray this morning when we first woke up? I wrote this last night. I wrote this last night, and when I woke up this morning, when I finally got around and got in the shower, I was like, man, I just... (laughs) I just realized, I just realized I was consumed with other things in my mind when I woke up in the morning. I want you to know that that's natural. That's normal. It's natural, just like it's natural for us to get hungry or natural for us to get thirsty when we get dehydrated. Those kinds of things are just normal. That's just our automatic autopilot. We don't have to think about it too much. I mean, when we're, when we're hungry, we eat something, and when we're thirsty, we drink something. It's kind of automatic. When we need to breathe, we just automatically start breathing. Those are all normal, natural, physiological things that happen. Us older people, when it comes to eating, we have to actually think about it quite a bit. Because we have to practice this thing called self-control. <laughs> think about when you were younger, you didn't think at all or care or have any consideration for what you ate or how you ate. You just, you just ate. And you can eat anything. Now there's probably things you can't eat anymore. Or that don't settle with you like they used to. I don't see any of you going out to buy like one of those huge jawbreakers or not many of you can handle like a huge amount of the sour candy anymore or anything like that. So we change And in that same way, our spiritual lives change as well. Our old selves, in what was natural, where we are all kind of inwardly focused, we just kind of are on autopilot, and we just, we do what we want, when we want, and how we want to do it. It takes deliberate consideration to make good choices when we eat, or in what we do. In the same way, We need to be deliberate and receptive to the Spirit to pray and to follow what he's asking us to do. It's not an automatic thing. It's something that we pursue. It's someone we pursue, essentially. So we, let me go back to the self-control thing. We have to exercise self-control. It's a very hard thing to do, right? Anybody think self-control is really easy? It's a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? But it's not natural to our bodies. It's not normal to us. It takes hard work and mental toughness to use self-control every day. Like I said, for adults, if it were up to us, we'd eat anything we wanted and do anything we wanted and go anywhere we wanted. We have the freedom to do that. 
But when we do what is natural, we are often just looking out for ourselves, our needs and our wants. And what it can do is it can make us very selfish. It can make us ignore our creator. It can make us consumed with the world and ignorant towards God. To the point where we don't think about the one who gives us our blessing, who gives us our air to breathe, who gave us our salvation. We don't think much about God who gives us life. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So what is natural or automatic for us isn't always good. It takes self-control to live for Christ because living for God is contrary to our fallen nature. We have to take sides in that conflict inside of us. We have to choose what God wants over what we want. We have to pursue him instead of the world. We say that we love God and we want to live for him. But how many times have we stopped to consider what that means or how we should do it? Let me ask, who finds it challenging to make time to read their Bible? Wow, you guys are, maybe I'm embarrassed now. I'll put my hand down. It's hard to do. What about who finds it hard to love hateful people? (laughs) Who finds it hard to answer questions in church? (laughs) What about finding it hard to be thankful? You see, it's not an automatic thing. When you give kids presents at Christmas, right, what do you teach them from the time that they're little? To be thankful. It's something that we have to learn and be taught to be thankful. It's something that we have to actively choose. It is that response to the gifts we get at Christmas. It's the response that we get to the blessings of God that causes us to be thankful. And we truly need to choose it. So it's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. This is why it's essential for us to actively pursue what we're commanded to do, why we have to actively pursue to pray without ceasing. When we get to that point and we understand what that means, to have our minds turn towards God in a way in our life where we are constantly relaying to him our worries, our concerns, our fears, our praise, our thankfulness, all of it. It's something that we learn. It's something that the Spirit teaches us. I'm sure that most of you could probably relate with this, but when you became a believer, when you put your faith in Christ, you were... Sanctified, but you were also being sanctified, right? God has declared you holy, 
but not everything you did was holy. Over time, through a series of yes to the through a series of yeses to the Spirit, we submit ourselves to God over and over and over again. We deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and follow him. And so to read our Bibles and to pray without ceasing and to live as Christ has called us to live is not a natural or automatic thing, but something that we learn and something we rely on the Spirit to empower us to do. So all these gifts of the Spirit and pursuing God, it's not natural for us. If we look at the world, we can see that contrast. They do what is normal. They do what is natural. They live for themselves and it makes them selfish, mean, greedy, and wicked. Us disciples were once that way too, but God has given us new life, baptizing us with the Spirit in the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Which means the old is dead and gone, and God has given us life and freedom from the power of sin and death. That means that Christ is sufficient for you. You don't have to be concerned about making mistakes or failing to meet the bar of holiness because God has already declared you holy. And although you recognize and you know that you're still trapped by your um, sinful flesh, the victory is already won. You already have freedom in Christ. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what gives us the freedom to pursue the Spirit. Let me make a bad example for you. (laughs) Maybe you're trying, maybe somebody's like trying to lose weight, right? And in their effort to lose weight, they, they... gather up enough self-control in themselves. Maybe they have some reasons or some other things, and they make a plan in their minds, and they go, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. And a few days into their plan, things start to fall apart, and they make a mistake, and they trip up. And what's the common thing that they do? The common thing that happens is you go, you know what? I've already made a mistake. I've already screwed up. I'm still fat. I'm still lazy. I'm still in this position I'm in, so why should I continue to pursue? I've already failed. Contrast that to what God has done in us. He has already declared you holy, spiritually fit in him. So those mistakes and those um, failures that we have are already covered by the blood of Christ. He's already sufficient for us. So mistakes that we make don't keep us from being God's people, don't keep us from being holy. But instead, the Spirit encourages us over and over and over again as he carries us by the hand through the process of sanctification. 
That was probably a really bad example, but I gave it a shot. (laughs) And this salvation that God offers is offered to all who call on Jesus. There is no criteria you met to receive it. First John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for also for the whole sins of the whole world. God's word says that Jesus fulfilled all that was needed to make us God's children by his life and sacrifice. Our part is to receive the gift of Jesus and hold it high for all to see. That means to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and tell everyone that you belong to him because he loves you and saved you. Romans 10, 9 through 10. Vinny, will you read that for me? Very good, thank you. This proclaiming is the same reason why we make the decision to be baptized. It's an early step of obedience that Jesus commanded us to do. Being submerged under the water in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit symbolizes our identity as God's own people. And if you belong to God, you want everybody to know. And this is the way that God commanded us to tell them. When you go under the water, it's like you are dead and buried with Jesus. And when you come back up out of the water, it signifies your resurrection with him. That you were born again. You died and God gave you new life. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It is this new life that the Spirit gives us that empowers us to live for him. Being dunked in the water doesn't save you. It's God's grace that you receive in faith that does. When you are saved by God, he baptizes you with the living water, the Holy Spirit. The one Jesus promised to everyone who trusts in him. You can read that promise he gives to the Samaritan woman at the well. Everybody who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But if you drink of the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty. Meaning the spirit doesn't run out. He's eternal. God 
in you forever. Giving you all you need. Giving you eternal life. Giving you, equipping you with everything necessary to be God's children. So you don't get baptized to get saved. You get baptized because you are saved. And got to tell everybody. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the courage to be baptized in regular old stock tank water. In the witness of God and men. Baptism is a symbol of what God has done in your life. And that you have been baptized by God's Holy Spirit. Some people will say that you make a decision for Christ. And then you decide to get baptized. And then at a later time, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would say you've got it backwards. I would say you put your faith in Christ at that time, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism that you do in water is a reenactment and a declaration to everyone that you have received that spirit. spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, the same one who leads us to love and obedience towards God. He leads us to pray, to fast, to live holy lives and tell everyone about our Savior Jesus. So don't take that proclamation, that declaration lightly. Don't take baptism lightly. Because it's a declaration that people around the world have been persecuted and killed for. You don't get baptized because it's cool or your family does it. You do it because you, lo- you belong to the most hated person that ever lived. You belong to God. And because we belong to Jesus Christ, we are new. For this reason, we don't live like the world or like our old selves. But instead, we rely on God to teach us and empower us to live the way he wants us to. What do you have to do to learn? First, you have to have a desire to learn. And there's another thing you have to do. Listen. And if you don't believe me that you need a desire to learn... Think about how many spankings you received when you were a kid and you didn't want to learn. But it takes that desire to learn and that necessity to listen. And this is the attitude we need towards the spirit if we want to live the lives that God has called us to live. Which means once we put our faith in Jesus, the next thing for us to do is to live for him. Right now, you live for what you love. If it's anything other than God first, you know it's going to lead you to trouble. Anybody ever feel that conviction? When you have a passion or desire in your heart that's maybe not even necessarily for something wrong. But you, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll make a, some kind of exception Or maybe some kind of justification. The point is, it's not about... um, The point is, it's all about 
being receptive and listening to the Spirit. Because we live by the Spirit as God's chosen children. If it's anything other than God first, you know it's going to lead to trouble. Sin and idolatry and the consequences of what is natural are going to take over. So how do we put God first? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How can you drink for the glory of God? How can you eat for the glory of God? How is that possible? Can you drink a soda for the glory of God? Anybody got an answer here? Maybe some of the more seasoned Christians can give an answer to that. Can you go on a run for the glory of God? See, as God's people, we can do anything for his glory. That's in line with his will. If it's against his word, you can't expect God to bless it or for it to bring him glory. The Bible says we should, anything is, we can receive anything if we receive it with thankfulness. So how can you drink a soda to the glory of God? Be thankful. Simply be thankful. How else can you do that? By not putting a soda for, I know this is a silly example, but I kind of gear this sermon towards kids. By not putting that soda first, by not putting that movie first, by not putting these, these certain activities of people first, or your job first, or your passions and desires first, but putting God first, and by putting God first, letting his passions and desires change your passions and desires. We know that doing everything that we do for the glory of God is essential. We know it's something we should do, but don't we often find ourselves sectioning off some part of our lives for ourselves and other parts for God? Maybe our time at work, that's, that's time for the world. But at time home alone in our, in our quiet place, that's time for God. Or time with our family, maybe that's time for God, but what I watch on TV or what I read or what I do, that's, that's for me. That's how I please myself. You see what I'm getting at with the self-control? You see what I'm getting at with this necessity to pursue what God wants rather than what you want? To exercise self-control. It's more like self-denial. Denying yourself to pursue God. If we are being made holy, it's time for some things to go in our lives. It's time for some things to change. Maybe our motivations and our purpose for doing them to change. 
and to shift. It's time for us to live for God with our entire lives, not just with a Sunday morning or an early prayer, but with our entire lives. If I spent all my time rafting, right? If I spent all my, that's what I love to do. If I spent all my time rafting and my purpose for rafting was because I like it and I love it and it makes me feel good. Is that inherently wrong in itself? No, not necessarily. But when that becomes my priority, when that becomes a form of idolatry in my life, well, now it has become a a problem. So how can you take something in your life that may be a problem and submit it to God, be willing to give it up, submit it to God? It may be possible for God to take that and shift it and manipulate it for his glory. One of the ways that I like to do this is I structure all the things that I, that I like to do around serving or spending time with other people. So, for instance, in terms of like the river and things like that, I make sure I have enough stuff for everyone. I go with people on the river and I spend that time with them proclaiming the name of Christ in fellowship with them. That's actually how Josh and I got to know each other. So God can take those things that you love when you surrender them to him and change them in your heart. Like I said, some stuff needs to go and some stuff needs to change. But our entire lives need to be lived for him. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What's true and proper worship? To offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What is true worship? To offer your body, your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's so much better when God says it, right? (laughs) He explains it so much better than I do. It is God's word and his spirit that is renewing our mind. We are simply saying yes to him and submitting ourselves to him. Colossians 3, chapter 3, and a little bit of of chapter 4 is actually the main text that I want to focus on today. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, 
Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, he's saying, take, take it a step further. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness. What else? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against, against someone, what does it say to do? And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And then what? And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And this is the one you need to mark in your Bible. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. I want you to maybe think about that a little bit before we continue. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Can you truly... Do something sinful in the name of the Lord Jesus. Truthfully and honestly, can you do that? Verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord? Kids, what pleases the Lord? (laughs) Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I think we can take a big hint from this class of people, people who are slaves to other people in this instruction that we're given and how we should structure our attitudes in what we do for God. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If you want 
endurance in your job, if you want joy in your work, in the things that you don't like to do but have to do, look to this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Verse 2 is essential here of chapter 4. Devote yourselves to what? To what? Mm-hmm. Being watchful and thankful. Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He gives further instruction. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, 1 John Chapter 1 and 2. Really good reading for tonight. 1 John chapter 1 and 2. Which one? You got to be willing to learn, right? 1 John chapter 1 and 2. Okay. So here are some things I want to reiterate that come from that passage we just read. Pretty much all that I had in blue were commands that we were given or instruction that we were given if we want to live for Christ. So let me reiterate a few of them. We trust him with our lives and in our lives. We submit in obedience to him. This means denying ourselves and submitting to God. Not making us the king. If Jesus is our Lord or our king, we should treat him that way. We could have gone on our own path, but instead we pick up our cross and follow him. We crucify and we kill our old ways, and instead we live for Christ. Next, we love him and love the people he has made. This is a paraphrase of the greatest commandment he has given us, one that trickles down into every part of our lives. Next is we praise him as God, as Savior, for his loving nature, for his gentle care, for his justice and his holiness, we praise him. And we are thankful that we have been saved from his wrath, that we are secure in him, free from condemnation. We are thankful for the freedom he has given us, the holy fear he has taught us, that we know him and we have been given his wisdom through his word. We are thankful for fun and games and food and family and miracles and healing and purpose, and work, and clothes, and air. We are thankful for his mercy, and patience, and the tools, and the tractors, and the beautiful lakes, and the snowflakes. We learn from his word, and we listen to the Holy Spirit. It takes a conscious effort to learn, to listen. We learn from the Spirit, and we listen to the Spirit. He teaches us self-control. He creates a new normal for us. And the Spirit shapes our lives. He is making us holy, confirming us to His will, conforming us to His will. 
So ride the snowmobile he has blessed you with up the ridge of his mountains. Enjoy the crackle of the firewood he has caused to grow. Sip the hot chocolate with the taste buds he designed. Play your video games, read your books, fold your clothes, and take a bath. Earn money, plan a vacation, and spend time with family and friends. Shelter the poor, feed the hungry, and heal the afflicted, and love the addicted. But do it not for yourself and not for the world, but conform all you do in word and deed to the glory of God. In obedience, exercise freedom as a disciple of Christ, and love and do as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's pray. Lord, we have a desire to learn. We have a desire to listen to you because you have put your spirit in us. So guide us in our choices. Guide us in our lives, Lord. Let us exercise that freedom with great strength and confidence, Lord, knowing that there is no condemnation in you. We are holy and we are being made holy. We are your children and you are teaching us how to live. So teach us obedience. Let us live for you and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, being reminded of the gospel day after day, Lord, as you pour your mercies out on us. Father, you are so good to us. We pray you will teach us to live for you. In your name, Jesus, amen.